I'm Brian. If we have not met, I'm one of the pastors that get the joy of serving the life of this church. Um, we've been tracking through a series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we're, we're nearing the end of that. Um, every so often, uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who kind of resides within the walls permanently of the life of the believer. Uh, so let me let you in on a little secret. So as pastors and, and preachers and ministers, uh, we do a, a job sometimes that we try to, as the Lord directs us and guides us to pray um, and, and teach well. We have the privilege, the, the people, me and John, who stand up here week in and week out with you, have the privilege of opening up the scriptures in hopes of God just coming and, and revealing himself deeply to you. And it's our prayer as we do that, that we do that well. And so we plan sometimes months ahead as to where we're going, where we believe God's taking us as a congregation. Um, every so often, the Spirit will sometimes give a little nudge to say, hey, I want you to go in a different direction this week. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I want you to hang on to 1 Corinthians 15. I'll mention it at the end. But I'd like to pray even before we jump in. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father, I come to you asking you to please accept my devotion and my praise as flawed as it is as a human being, still affected by the reality of sin in this world. I come to you, Lord, a man with many sins and many broken traits, Lord, still within me, Lord, a man who prones to get angry, who tends to wander from you from time to time, Lord, who's judgmental unloving, who hangs on to bitterness easily. But God, in your grace, you were pleased to reveal your son to me. And I thank you for that. And that's the only ground upon which I stand as I get ready to do this. And I pray you would help me to do this to your people well this morning. And that God, collectively, we bring truckloads of sin into this place. I pray that you would be really, really pleased to reveal your son Jesus to us collectively in this place as we are prepared to be sent back out to do good in the name of Jesus to people who are near to us and in need all around us. So God, would you be merciful and good to show up in your power and do a mighty work in this place for the next few moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. First Corinthians 13, I want to direct you there. Paul says this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Love never ends. This is God's word. Uh, the question I want to I throw at you this morning and for us to consider as a community, as the people of God, is specifically this. Does this love that is first demonstrated by God himself through the sending of his son Jesus to broken, flawed people like you and I, does this love that Paul beckons us to and calls us to, is this love compel us 
and drive us towards people and places that are different from us? Does this love call us, send us to places and people that are different from us? Uh, I got a chance to hang out with you a few weeks back. I get to do this from time to time. Usually they, they, they exile me to North Andover, and I love hanging out with those peeps down there. But I get a chance every once in a while to step up to the plate and hang with you guys, and I love this. And so a few weeks back, we considered uh, the phrase in the Apostles' Creed, the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints. And as we were digging through the communion of saints, we asked the question here a few weeks ago, uh, what are we to be as the church and what are we to do? What are we to be and what are we to do? And we considered that as a church, according to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 to his people, we are called to be a city on a hill. In other words, an alternate culture within the culture that we exist in for this place, in this time, in this season that God has determined. Andrew Marin, an author, he writes this. He describes living out this alternate culture way of life this way when he says, The uniqueness of the Christian faith is its call to be distinct, walking in a way that sidesteps social and cultural norms. But the Christian faith calls for a specific distinction, love. Theologian Francis Schaeffer believed that love is the indelible mark that God gave Christians to wear before the world when he said this, Schaeffer said this, only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. So, in essence, we're called by Christ to be different by loving, by choosing humility over hostility, by braving the unknown rather than huddling in safe enclaves, by daring to face people who we've offended and who've offended us and inviting them into a reconciled relationship with God and one another. A 17th century uh, Lutheran theologian coined these famous words, You've, you might have heard it before, when he said these words. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And I would add these words for this day and this season to all people at all times, especially when in need. What fuels a community to be distinct in its love towards God and its love towards one another and its love to all people is what Paul lays down in 2 Corinthians 5 as he describes the forgiveness we receive from God through Jesus when Paul says this. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. In Christianity, the gospel tells us that Jesus came to us in love, not while we were at our best, but that actually while we were at our worst. In Christianity, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came to us in love, not when we were for him, but when we were really opposed to him. And as a result, those who accept this message by faith as the ground upon which they stand before their maker, who is the creator of everyone and everything, as now a city on a hill, as the salt of the earth, as the light of the world, we Christians should find creative and consistent ways to love and to listen to and to serve all kinds of people, especially when tragedy hits and when grieving and when sorrow 
and when loss and when hurt abounds or seizes the day. In light of the Orlando tragedy two weeks ago, I can't help but bring to, to light once again Jesus' most basic gospel imperative for his people to live out horizontally as they live their everyday life, which was this, to love your neighbor as yourself. One pastor said this a few weeks back. He said, this is not a time to be silent about the horrible injustice that occurred in Orlando a few weekends ago. But he also said it's not a time for preaching one's views about right and wrong when it comes to sexuality. This is a time to love. This is a time for compassion. This is a time for tears. This is a time to enter into the sorrow and the loss and to weep and mourn with those who already are, many of whom have buried loved ones just over this past week. Someone may ask, as, as we gather together and listen to something like this, someone could possibly ask, well, hold on, Paige. Doesn't that send mixed signals? Right? Doesn't that sing, if, if we're to love and we're to enter in and we're to accommodate and be caring and loving towards the needs of people who believe something different than us, isn't that contradictory? Isn't that going to send a mixed signal in some way? I'm not sure that Jesus was ever concerned about sending mixed signals. In fact, his communication was clear. Jesus himself welcomed sinners of every kind. Religious sinners. Train wreck sinners. Sexual sinners. Old sinners. Young sinners. Good sinners. Bad sinners. Sinners from all over the sphere. And he ate with them without any strings attached. And he took a lot of heat, too. He took a lot of heat from religious people. He took a lot of heat from religious leaders. But Jesus didn't seem to care because the methodology of Jesus was to lead with love towards all types of people. And here's the truth and reality of it. You and I would find ourselves on that list of sinners somewhere. You and I would find ourselves within the pool of sinners that Jesus welcomed and approached and showed love towards and showed radical grace towards. One writer said this, he says, the line dividing between good and evil cuts through every human heart. We need to live in love as though we really believe that. A day or two after um, the Orlando tragedy, I came across a tweet. And uh, for those of you who are wondering, what the heck is a tweet page? Uh, there's this thing called Twitter. It's a social media outlet. Some people use it, some people don't. Some people have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's okay. I, I, I adhere to it in some ways. Uh, so I saw a tweet, and it read this. It was from an LGBTQ advocate, and I found it interesting as I came across it. It said this. It said, straight friends, especially you Christians, please know we hear your silence so loud. What the, te uh, what the tweet was uh, implying was that most of the outcries about Orlando seemed to be coming from everywhere except from the followers of Jesus. And the tweet seemed to be asking us, as followers of Jesus, where are your tears? Where are your sorrows? Where is your compassion? Where is the neighbor love that Jesus commanded you to show? Because if it's there, let us see it. Put it on display. We need to feel it. We need to experience it. We need to know that it's there. Please, do not take your light and hide it under a basket. Not now. Please, not now. Now, there's some truth here for us to consider. If, if Christians do choose to remain silent 
about or ignore such violence done to any person or any people group who are made in the image of God, then starting with me, we need a radical re-educating of what a life changed by Jesus and his grace really implies and what it leads us towards and what it sends us out into. And here is one of the questions that we will need to answer. And it's this. Does the neighbor love that Jesus laid down for his people require us to cross lines into places of challenge and difference? Does the neighbor love that Jesus calls us to, call us to, does it require us to get outside the box of our comfortability and actually cross lines and engage with people who are different or believe different things than us or something that's going to make us uh, feel uncomfortable because we're outside of our realm of experience and comfortability? Does this neighbor love require us to go to those types of places? I was struck a few, uh, not too long ago, I, I read an excerpt by a, a former Harvard chaplain, and I, I came across it again in the last couple of weeks. His name is Chris Stedman. He's the former chaplain at Harvard. And uh, Chris Stedman identifies as an atheist and as a member of the LGBT community. And Stedman had this to say. He wrote this in an essay. The divide between Christians and atheists is deep. And I'm dedicated to bringing that divide to working with atheists and Christians and people of all different beliefs and backgrounds on building a more cooperative world. Stedman says, we have a lot of work to do, but my hope is that these things can help foster better dialogue between Christians and atheists and that together we can work to see a world in which people are able to have honest, challenging, loving conversations across lines of difference. So here's the question, is it possible for you and I to disagree with each other or for people in general to disagree on sensitive subjects and still maintain meaningful and deep friendship and loving friendships with each other? Is it not only impossible, but is it imperative and is it right for us to weep and mourn across such lines of difference in hopes that in such a way, lines would actually be transformed into bridges at some point? If Christians choose to live out a gospel of exclusion, heard this recently, this gospel will never have the power to transform already excluded people. If Christians choose to live out a gospel of exclusion, then we've forgotten or simply have never really experienced or known the radical grace that's been shown to us because scripture teaches us that as human beings, regardless of how we have lived out our sin in whatever way that's kind of come out of us and how we put that on display for the world to see, human beings are lost and excluded from a relationship with God because of our sin. But instead of allowing human beings to remain in an excluded state, God in his great love for us sends Jesus to transform lines into a bridge that would allow lost humanity and God, their creator, to be reconciled in a relationship once again. And so Jesus comes and through the sacrifice of his life, he eliminates the line that no matter what, our, because of our sin, None of us ever had the opportunity to ever make it into a reconciled relationship with God. There was no amount of work or effort or good deed or church attendance or anything that would ever allow that line to be crossed. But Jesus, in his grace, comes and he eliminates the line and creates a bridge that allows lost human beings to now be in relationship with their creator once again. This is the ministry, the beauty of reconciliation that God brings about because of his great love towards lost people.
And as a follower of Jesus, I believe it's not only possible to disagree and yet love and have relationships, but I believe it's a huge part of our Christian discipleship as we walk with Jesus in this thing called life. It's a gospel imperative for the people of Jesus to weep with all of their neighbors who weep and mourn with all of their neighbors who mourn, regardless of belief or background or experience or culture, which raises an interesting question, one that Jesus was asked in Luke chapter 10 when a teacher of the law approached Jesus and he was seeking to justify himself. And he said, well, who is my neighbor then? Who is my neighbor? Personally speaking, my neighbor, as a recipient of radical grace and now as a representative of Jesus in this world, is anyone who is near to me and who is in need. Anyone who is near to me and who is in need. And so the question is, is who is near? And who is in need? Who do you find yourself, brothers and sisters, in close proximity to today? Maybe it's a friend, man, battling with depression, so critical that they're contemplating actually taking their own life. Maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a stranger who's come into your life that is battling some sort of addiction. Or maybe it's a loved one, a son, or a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin. Maybe it's a loved one who identifies as a member of the LGBT community and is hurting and is scared over what's transpired over the last couple of weeks. Meeting the needs of people who are near, here's the reality. Meeting the needs of people who are near and in need, it may not fit within the box of our comfortability, but it sounds a lot like something Jesus would be about, doesn't it? You know, the same Jesus who answered the question of who is my neighbor by making a Samaritan the hero of the story about neighbor love right in the face of the reality that Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. It was the same Jesus who commended Rahab for providing safe shelter for Israel's spies even though she was a prostitute. The same Jesus who went after Peter in love after Peter had denied him three times. The same Jesus who went after this Peter before Peter could ever say he was sorry or make amends with Jesus. The same Jesus who looked a prostitute dead in the eye while she was still dressed like a prostitute, still smelling like a prostitute, who would come right off the streets to kiss his feet with her prostitute lips, and to pour perfume that she probably put on as she went about to do her prostitute work, and Jesus praised her for her expression of love. Consider this story of neighbor love. Uh, two weeks ago, when, when the Orlando tragedy went down, um, Chick-fil-A, which is normally closed so its employees can worship God on Sunday and enjoy a day of Sabbath rest, they actually opened up and a bunch of their workers actually spent the day uh, brewing gallons of tea and making sandwiches and they submitted them. They were handing them out to people who had gone to donate blood for the LGBTQ victims who were hurt, wounded in the tragedy a few weeks ago. Mind you, this is the same company who just a few years ago, within the last couple of years, their president and CEO, Dan Cathy, came out publicly and acknowledged and expressed 
his view, his belief in the historic Judeo-Christian view of sexuality and marriage between a man and a woman who came out and faced a lot of backlash. His company faced a lot of heat, caught a lot of heat for standing up and pronouncing this and was boycotted by a, by a gay activist. But over the last couple of years, Dan Cathy, under the radar of public view, in an effort to be a neighbor and show love to this gay activist, reached out to this gay activist. And the two of them have now developed a friendship now, where they both stand on different aisles in regards to belief, but have now entered into a friendship and a meaningful dialogue, where now this gay activist would actually say that Dan Cathy is his friend. And he's been blown away by Dan Cathy and his testimony to him and their friendship. The truest disciples of Jesus, not in spite of their Christian beliefs, but because of them, they take initiative to love, they take initiative to listen to, they take initiative to serve those who don't share their same beliefs. And the question for you and I, FCC, is to wrestle with is this, is, is that you and I? Is this part of, is this one of our marks? Is this our church community? Are you and I taking initiative to love and to listen to and to serve those in need who are near us and around us? The other question to wrestle with, too, is, is what fuels this type of love? What fuels this type of kindness for the people of Jesus? Romans 2 says this, it's God's kindness that leads us to repent, a.k.a. to change, to turn away from our sin and towards his grace. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not the slap of God. It's not the yell of God. It's not the bark of God. It's not the threat of God. It's not the violence of God, it's not the wrath of God, it's not the fury of God, it's his kindness and the offer of his embrace that caused us to repent and turn away from our own sins. Scott Saul says this, he says, we become staunch conservatives in our belief that every single word of scripture is good and true and right and from God himself, and at the same time, we become radically liberal in the ways and to whom we show love to. As Christians go deeper with Jesus in their walk with Jesus and in their time with Jesus and as a community, we become more conservative in our beliefs about what Scripture says, but yet at the same time radically liberal in who we show love to, especially to those who are near and in need around us regardless of belief, regardless of background, regardless of socioeconomic class, regardless of people group, regardless of race. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery in John 8, he says, I don't condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. Radical grace always leads to radical transformation. And it's a process. But radical grace leads to radical transformation. And this is the gospel. And if we reverse this, then we lose the gospel. And we lose Christianity altogether. We lose Jesus. And again, this type of radical love and radical grace that Jesus extended made the religious so mad at him and so furious at him. They called him a glutton and a drunkard. They called him a friend of sinners. They basically called Jesus a fraud because of his loving response to people in need. And yet it was Jesus who did say it was the sick who needed a physician. He did say he desired mercy to be extended. He did say he came for sinners. And sinners are the ones that recognized his coming to them as loving and radical. 
This is the faithful, Jesus-motivated response of Jesus' people to seek with all of our hearts to love our near and needy neighbors in ways that our near and needy neighbors would recognize themselves as loved. This is the posture of a missionary who's being sent to people all over the place to extend and show through deed the love of Jesus to all types of people. And so I ask again, is it possible to disagree with someone and love them deeply at the same time? You just ask my wife. You ask Danielle. She'll answer that for you. Is it possible to hold deep convictions and embrace people who reject your deep convictions at the same time? Yes, it is. It was Jesus' apostle Peter who was writing to the people of God, the church, who were living on the margins of culture, experiencing all types of difficulty as they attempted to live out their faith for Jesus. He writes this to them in 1 Peter chapter 3. In your hearts, honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame. The way to seeing lines erased and bridges formed, honoring Christ in our hearts as holy. Honoring Christ, the same Christ who has come and has rescued us and has delivered us and has redeemed us and is making us new and showing radical grace and love to us as fallen human beings. It's honoring that Christ in our hearts and then through our lives, demonstrating a gentleness and a respect that's going to lead to all types of intrigue and question from people all around us. People that are going to go, why the heck are you that way? What is it about you that causes you to be so forgiving or to tolerate such action? What causes you to be so generous? What causes you to be so loving and so kind? What causes you to be so self-sacrificial when culture says it's all about you? It's all about you. Have it your way. What causes you? What's leading you to be that way? As the people of God seeking to be salt and seeking to be light and seeking to be a city on a hill, we can, we are allowed, we are free, we are commissioned to love and to serve and to weep and to mourn and to pray. And we can continue to remind ourselves, friends, that our and our neighbors, we can continue to remind our neighbors too that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We mourn, but we mourn now in hope of a coming kingdom that Jesus himself has actually promised those who follow him. One in which lines of hatred and lines of animosity and lines of race and lines of socioeconomic class and lines of addiction and non-addiction are done away with once and for all. One in which the terror of terrorism that seizes the day will be no more. This is the day that's coming. One in which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, here it is, that we will have resurrected bodies, imperishable bodies that will not experience the pain, that will not experience the suffering, that will not experience the trauma and the mourning and the hurting and the sorrow and the struggles and the fears that this perishable body faces now. <coughs> This is the ground of our hope, man. Thanks be to God's grace.
My prayer is this. <coughs> that in firm hope, you and I as the church of Jesus would be able to seek to love and do good in the name of Jesus to all types of people who are near and in need all around us in the everyday stuff of life. It's my hope as we seek to be the city on a hill, salt of the earth, light of the world. Amen?